All right, here we go, man. So uh, we are re- we are live. We're recording a James Madison preview here. Uh, first, we'll get to uh, the Eastern Washington game that was. Uh, we have a uh, awesome guest here with us, guys. Uh, Preston Adams uh, from College Sports Journal. Uh, he's also uh, an alumni from JMU. Knows a lot about FCS football. Um, especially JMU. Um, so, hey, man, thank you for spending some time with us. And I know that you're on the East Coast, so you're up late uh, with us. So, on the on Mountain Time. So, thank you, man. Yeah, not a problem. And it's not too late. So, no need to rush. <laughs> Take your time. Uh, all right. I didn't think all about right. that, that you're all the way on the East Coast, brother. Oh, my God. I was yeah. tripping over here. It's only 9 15. <laughs> I am okay, good. We're good. I'm we're good. good. I think, hey man, you know, but I'm gonna tell you, nine fifteen is when I should be in bed asleep. By let me just tell you that. I mean, I, I usually try to um, be winding down, so hopefully by eleven thirty I'm out. <laughs> but I just know that if I fall asleep now, I'll be up at four a.m. and won't be able to get back to sleep. Jesus, man! No, I fall asleep at any time. I wake up before seven o'clock. I'm I'm sluggish. I'm tired. You know, it just doesn't work for me, man. Don't you work are, for me like that. You are lucky. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, bro, I'm a hibernator for sure. When the when the weather gets bad, I mean, mm-hmm. awake, mm-hmm. you know, after that after yeah. that 7 o'clock time or before that right. time. Mm-hmm. So Preston was on Angel before uh, you were um, doing this with me. And we did – how long was that episode? That, that had to have been like three hours. It was two, maybe two was and a two? half. It was, yeah. we talked about everything on that episode. We talked about conference realignment yeah, and look what happened. Yeah, yeah, look what happened. We, re- we really uh, ran the gauntlet. It was really fun. It was, it was. And that was, I call it the missing episode because for the life of me, I can't even find it. Um, so anybody that mm-hmm. knows technology, come come dig into my computer to find that because it is, I have no clue where it is, man. So. <laughs> But thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep. you know, like we said, we're going to go into the Eastern Washington game. Uh, Angel, you were there at the game. What did you think, brother? Oh, what? oh my gosh. First, let me tell you, uh, night games are incredible. They're so much fun. And I was really surprised for a Friday game. I mean, uh, compared to a lot of other games that I did watch, I mean, our stadium was full. You know, yeah. which, which I thought was pretty impressive. I guess that, that was going to be a question I have for Preston a little bit later on. Um, but no, man, the energy was there. And I really believe, you know, kind of the crowd being behind the football team really kind of elevated their play to the next level. I mean, it was able to get multiple um, false starts on yeah. Eastern Washington just because of the crowd noise, you know, on big time third downs, big time fourth downs, you know, fourth and shorts. I mean, fourth and one is so much different than fourth, four, four and six. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the yep. fact that, I mean, the crowd was electrifying, the players fed off of it. Um, it was, you know, kind of that brawl type of situation. And I personally, I went to the, you know, to the Montana Eastern, uh, Montana, Montana State game. And I thought this Eastern Washington game was was louder. Really? Know? Yeah, I did. 100% I did. I mean, huh. I don't know if it was just where I was sitting at. It was different seats. I was, I was on the, like that top level. But man, okay. that place was bumping. Let me just tell you that. 
Yeah, because there's what twenty two thousand there for the Eastern Washington game. There's about twenty six thousand for the Montana Montana State. So, mm-hmm. well, actually, I heard it was about twenty four thousand, but still, oh really? I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, not not a full stadium to a full stadium. I mean, you would expect kind of a drop off, especially being a Friday yeah. game, especially being yeah. like kind of where the holidays, everybody's kind of taking some time off, spending some time at home, and so the fact that people showed up, man, I think it was just incredible to see. And as an alumni, I was just super proud, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, and you know. That first half was was worrying me because it was it was starting to be kind of a barn burner, and it totally surprised me. Um, you know that that halftime twenty one twenty, I was kind of kind of worried. Also with those targeting calls, um, I, it, it could have swung in so many different directions. It, it was. Mm-hmm. It was edge of the seat that I was, I was hoping the kids weren't going to wake up because I was yelling loud and I'm like, okay, please don't wake up. Please don't wake yep. up. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, good game. So Preston, what'd you think of the game, man? You said you had a chance to watch it. I did. I watched it twice and I skipped all the targeting pauses when I watched <laughs> it the second time. Um, honestly, what I thought was probably exactly what you felt in the second quarter. First of all, it took an hour and a half to get through yeah. it. But yeah. second of all, after those two targeting calls that were, you know, reversed, basically, yeah. the crowd just got so much louder. and You could feel the intensity, you know, through my phone or through my TV when I was watching. And that's literally when the game flipped. That's when you guys got the block punt. And I think that's exactly the point in time where all the momentum shifted. And then you guys got to turn over here, turn over there. And by the end of the third quarter, I wouldn't say it's in doubt because Eastern Washington has a high-powered offense. But you could totally tell that Montana took control of that game. Whereas for the first quarter and a half, looked like Eastern Washington basically could have run away with it. So um, I actually talked about a a comparison with – JMU in 2016 uh, when we were playing New Hampshire in the first round. And it was kind of back and forth. We're CAA rivals. We know each other. And there was a point in the game where a referee actually told our marching band to stop playing. You're playing too loud. Really? That completely <laughs> flipped the entire game. And you could hear, like, if you watch it on replay, you can hear the stadium get 10 times louder. Like, I've Jeez. maybe heard the, uh, Bridgeforth that loud three or four times and jane you completely ran away with it after that it felt like that sort of momentum swing yours was targeting calls we love our band so we, we don't play that <laughs> <laughs> so you know targeting calls were really really important to the game just because i think the the wide receiver is really in some passes you could see them kind of looking around before the ball was to them Mm -hmm. um and also but i I would disagree with the targeting calls i would say when they lost um i forgot his name i think it's crisp on their offensive line when they had to switch their lineup Mm -hmm. i think that threw off the just the momentum and just the the consistency of where eb3 was going to get a snap i think that totally killed their momentum just their timing as well with their wide receivers so that was where i thought the game kind of swung and kind of really totally went to montana was that at that point yeah well mm-hmm. i mean obviously yep. every yeah anytime you lose an offensive lineman that's gonna yeah completely throw everything off yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think i mean personally um i think it was a little bit about what I spoke about last week. I think everybody's going to say when you think of Eastern Washington, you think of the pass game. I think the real hidden talent is that run game. I think yeah. with establishing a run game gives them the ability to have that type of passing game, you know, with yeah. that type of protection, with that type of experience. Like, Don't get me wrong, the offensive line is a huge piece of the puzzle, but I think where we really outshined is, is 
keeping them to the yards on the ground. I mean, yeah. the running back was was having trouble to fi- having trouble finding any hole. And once you do that, it forces Eric in a position where they rely solely on his passing ability. And again, if you apply a little bit of pressure, I think he's not used to a defensive, you know, I guess scheme scheme plan that you know kind of put a little bit of the pressure on him. Most of the time, I've I've talked to multiple people this past week that said, "Hey, man, for whatever reason, you know, the guy's always good about making the first guy miss." But after that, you know, it makes it tough to juke out three, four, five players when you have that whole Grizzly defense attacking you, you know, on one side or the other. So I think mm-hmm. because of that, and put in a position to get a little bit nervous. I mean, you saw him underthrow a couple pa- or overthrow a couple passes. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. as point as, I mean, he attempted 80 times and he was able to complete 47, which is awesome. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, percentage wise, I mean, you normally see that number when it comes to his numbers be higher than that percentage wise yeah well and he had that injury too the rib injury that probably hurt, yeah, hurt him a lot yeah. too but man 80 80 passes that's crazy that is that is so yeah and i think that they went away you know like when they started getting down early um you know or later on in the game they had to go to the passing game but i think they kind of went away from the running game a little too soon than they had to um mm-hmm. to, to do that because I don't know. I, I think they could have could have done some damage with the run. We were doing pretty good with it, uh, stopping and plugging holes, though. So, so basically, how much do you know, Montana? Is it? That, I mean, do you guys over there on the East Coast, you know, think about that FCS and what we bring to the table, or is it just kind of you guys are focused on, you know, I guess one game at a time, your guys's conference, and then once you get to playoffs, you guys go from there. Well, to be completely honest, uh, with JMU, um, especially over the last few years, unfortunately, we've lost two conference games in the last four years, maybe. So mm-hmm. at least for me, myself, and a lot more of the more passionate fans, we actually look to, you know, outside of our own conference, more or less to see what's going on in the top 25. So I know I'm always on top of the big sky the, in Missouri Valley, keeping track of the SoCon because we're probably going to play one of those teams. And I try to keep track more or less of 40 to 50 teams that I think have real legit shots at a playoff seed. And I keep track of the Ivy Leagues because I had a bunch of cousins and family that went up there. So I personally know a lot about Montana. There's a significant amount of fans that know a lot about Montana, Montana State, everything that y'all do, and, you know, basically that top tier. So, um, but, you know, for the whole fan base, they're just kind of like, all right, who's next? Montana? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we know Montana. We'll come to that. Mm. Game. So you mentioned the crowd. So Saturday, I think we were like 11 five. Um, yeah. And, you know, for us, I don't know about y'all, but we do have final exams coming out and whatnot. And apparently we study now a whole lot more than we used to when I was there. Um, but the th- but the thing is, you know, crowd size at the end of the day really doesn't matter if your fans are going to be that loud and that insane. And I think that's what folks didn't realize was going to happen on Saturday where they're like, well, the crowd was only this. And I was like, yeah, but they caused at least two false starts. And Cole Kelly, you know, Walter Payton, the war finalist and winner last year, he was completely rattled. Mm -hmm. He threw three interceptions and had a fumble, two interceptions and a fumble within Mm -hmm. like three minutes in the second quarter. So, you know, obviously whatever we were doing was working. So, but, you know, the game is going to be Friday night under the lights, like you mentioned. And I personally cannot wait to have you all here again because we have some feelings about the last time y'all came here. Because <laughs> <laughs> when was that? When was the last time we played? 
played we played you all in 2008 it was the semifinals oh, it was, wasn't and it? Yeah. um i was in the marching band that year um, oh, okay mm. so i was at that game it was really cold uh y'all won 35 to 27 our starting yeah. quarterback got injured in that game um you know not making excuses but obviously that's going to throw a team off um mm-hmm. and then you all let richmond win the championship <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, we're still yep. about that one too, man. Like, bitter about us or bitter about that game? Yeah. So, um, but you know, honestly, it was like one of those fantastic atmospheres. Our stadium did not fit sixteen thousand people. We fit sixteen thousand people in that year. This was before all the renovations and everything. So that was a rocking stadium. That was also a year that we had Appalachian State come. It was a five versus one matchup that we won. So it was actually one of the more memorable years of JMU football just didn't end the way that we wanted it to. So I'm glad to re-up and see you guys again. Exactly. Well, and that, it's, it's kind of weird because then that following year in 2009, we played, what, Villanova, and we lose – by what one or two three points there so yeah uh we haven't done too good with the caa um although we beat jmu um in 2008 but i, I know i know gris nation's gonna make that way way out there they always do they we always travel pretty well mm-hmm. um so it'll be uh awesome to see friday night under the lights five mountain time and seven o'clock on the east coast and uh yeah let's get into this man because jmu you know we got to talk to Grizz Nation because I don't know too many fans that maybe know about JMU. They've heard of JMU. The the diehard fans know about James Madison. Um, but mm-hmm. you guys have had a really great year, um, have had some injuries in the running back position as well. 10-1 um, and one overall, 7-1 and one in the conference. Um, you know, your only loss was coming to a Villanova team by one point. Um other than that, you've pretty much handle, handled um, everybody, maybe except for New Hampshire, um, the 23-21 game that you guys had. Um, but other than that, you guys have slaughtered your opponents. Yeah, and so a couple of things. One thing that JMU fans will not miss moving to the Sun Belt is having to go to New Hampshire because <laughs> it doesn't matter who, how good we are, how good they are, whatever weird stuff when JMU goes to New Hampshire happens. In 2008, we had, um, that was when our quarterback threw five interceptions, like never would have happened anywhere else but New Hampshire. This game, again, they scored one offensive touchdown. The other two touchdowns were defensive turnovers. So, you know, it's just one of those places that apparently we have boogeymen around there. So (laughs) we, we all, most of us go into that game. We're like, you know, if we get out with a win, it's whatever. It's fine. Let's run home and never go back again. Now the Villanova game, you have to give Villanova credit. They came back. They held us. They shut us out in the second half. And I'm sure you all know who Ethan Radke is. He's missed mm-hmm. two field goals this season. Yeah. Both of those were in the Villanova game. Mm. So, why why do you think it, it, it was the Villanova game that threw him off? I don't think that it was even that he got thrown off. It's, I, you know, these are just still college. The, yeah, it's just a game of football. These are still college students. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. So, no. um, hasn't missed since. Didn't miss before. Hasn't missed since. He's he's about as automatic a college kicker, especially at the FCS level that you're going to get. So if you're going to, you know, say, you know, we're going to play this game and put pressure on JMU's kicker, that's a terrible idea, a -hmm. terrible idea. But yeah, Mm -hmm. other than that, you know, ran through the schedule. I think one of our more impressive performances, though, was going out to Weber State and just handling them. 
I think yeah. we were up maybe 37 to 13 in the fourth quarter. They scored a couple late touchdowns, made it a little closer. Um, but that game was not close. Like, no. and the final you know, that, score. Yeah. yeah, the final score was 37 to 24, but that's not what yeah. that game was. Like, JMU had control the entire game, which, you know, at the time, and Weber was still a good team. They're still a French top 25 team. But yeah. we were expecting that to be, you know, a top 10, top 15 win. But their their Big Sky schedule was brutal. And, you know, that's the furthest west that JMU has ever traveled. So that in and of itself was something interesting in the first time for the team as well. So I was really proud of that win. But it was also in a stretch of games where we were playing four out of five games on the road, all against top 25 ranked opponents at the time. So JMU is undefeated on the road this season. And all of those teams were ranked at the time. It's not our fault that they fell out of the rankings after they lost to us. So we're a very battle-tested team. They're not a team that's going to, you know, let you into a game unless, I mean, you have to earn your way back into a game, basically. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think we learned from the Sam Houston loss last year was you got to keep your gas on the pedal, especially when you're playing against top caliber competition. So, you know, when we were playing Southeastern Louisiana this weekend, yeah, we were up 38 to 13 at halftime. But coming out into the second half, we're like, nope, we're going to keep going. So by the end of the uh, um, by the end of the third quarter, we were up 59 to 13. And some coaches might have put the foot on the gas a little more. I know Mike Houston would have, but it's more of the Kurt Signetti way of just saying, they're not going to score on us. So, you know, let's not get any injuries put a couple of reserves and we put our backup quarterback in as well, you know, just kind of take it slow. And yeah, they did score one touchdown, but the fact that we said Cole Kelly and the high flying Sela offense isn't going to score on us kind of says, you know, the confidence that he had, not only in the fact that the home crowd was helping us out that much, but the defense just had their number. Yeah. Well, in that Southern Southeast Louisiana team, I would say that they haven't played anybody this whole year um, no. in, in yeah. any way, any way compared to JMU. So, Hey, uh, let's kind of go over some of their stats, man. Um, and this is before the blowout win last week. So um, they're averaging around 39 points a game um, rushing. They're about 162 rushing yards a game with about of an average of about 4.1 uh, passing or 276 with an average about 8.4 a, a pass. So mm -hmm. that's a, about 439 yards, which like you've said, and you mentioned off air is, is they're a lot more pass oriented than past JMU teams have been just because with the uh, running backs that they have had um, injured this year as well, um, which, you know, third down uh, conversions. They're 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 pretty. They're okay. You know, they're pretty good. Forty five percent fourth down, sixty percent. The one thing that I look at is that red zone. So you guys have had about mm -hmm. fifty four um, possessions in the red zone. Forty eight of fifty four. Twenty seven of those have been for touchdowns. Have you guys <laughs> had a hard time scoring in the red zone? It is the bane. Touchdowns. Of, it is the bane of our existence. Yeah. To the point where. Um, some fans have joked, and I think when a um, when a reporter asked Kirk Signetti this question, he even smirked, and he said, "You can't have red zone trouble if you're scoring touchdowns from twenty yards out and further," <laughs> which is what we did all which is what we did all day yesterday. Um, yeah. But it it really has been um, I wouldn't say like an issue, but it it has frustrated fans. There have yeah. been times where 
you know, we're like, Ethan Radke, we love you, but we want to punch the ball in. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it, it really has been a frustration for us. So it was nice to see the offense, you know, just kind of blow the doors off of southeastern Louisiana and not have to worry about it. However, I know that's not going to be the case against Montana. Um, yeah. Now, I will say, you know, conversely, something that our defense does very well is whole teams at the red zone. Um, Southeastern Louisiana kicked two field goals and they were on like the five yard line or something. That's not what they do. Um, yeah. We had our, our defensive line is too deep, legitimately too deep with four or five FBS transfers and three or four of them are backups. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's an extremely experienced defensive line. You're going to have a lot hard time running against them. They're very quick. Um, the defensive ends are always getting after the quarterback. I, I know that's what they did against Cole Kelly. They had him flustered. That's why he was throwing so many picks, why he was getting sacked and whatnot. So that's something that you all are going to have to watch out for as well. But again, you know, that, that red zone thing has been something that I've heard fans complain about all season long. I've complained about it all season long. But over the last, well, Towson was a nice way to round out the season. And again, against Southeastern Louisiana, it seemed to have righted itself a little bit. Yeah. So See, well, where, where yeah. I kind of start thinking about, you know, in kind of comparison from Montana and JMU, I mean, I guess we can get into specifics, but I'm talking about just in the overall grand scheme of things. I think, you know, the style or I guess how we're kind of producing on offense, defense and special teams, I think it relates a lot to kind of JMU. You know, where I'm kind of curious, I guess, your personal opinion, Preston, of where you think, I guess, JMU has a leg up on Montana. JMU has two NFL caliber receivers and a quarterback mm -hmm. that does not turn the ball over. Um, our receivers, uh, Chris, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, give me one second. Um, Antoine Wells and, yeah, Chris Thornton. Yep. Uh, Antoine Wells is already over a thousand yards. Chris Thornton will be over a thousand yards after Friday. That's two one thousand yard receivers on an FCS team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you rarely hear about that, if ever. Yep. Uh, Cole Johnson, I think he has thirty seven touchdowns and two interceptions. Mm -hmm. So he does not turn the ball over. He drops these balls in like a dime. Um, and this is not, you know, me knocking uh, the secondary of Montana or anything, but there were some busted coverages that I saw on Friday. Um, yeah. Or, you know, the corner and the safety kind of getting outrun. That will burn you against JMU 100%. And that's not necessarily something that we've been able to say in the past. But they have two receivers that you either need top-notch corners that are going to shut them down and even if you do, you're still probably going to need to help. But who are you going to help? So I would probably say that that's something that you're going to need to watch out for. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the only thing with that is, is I would say that Eastern Washington passing attack is a little – and not that it, it's, it's a little different than Jamie's. It, it is. It's a different beast in itself with mm -hmm. how they run their schemes. So um, And with Eric back there too, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's a little bit different, Like, I, but I totally agree with you. There was some miscoverages and, and mishaps with that game. Um, with with being a Montana fan, this is probably probably since the last time in, oh, what, 09, 08, that we've had probably two legit cornerbacks um, that are probably talent worthy of the NFL and Justin mm -hmm. Ford and Omar Hicksonu. So I'm really anticipating mm -hmm. a, a really good uh, game between those. The only thing with that is is 
they don't have with with our defense the way that we move, the way that we blitz is if they're if you're and that, that's my next question is how is your offensive line? Because your offensive line is going to be seeing multiple movements on the line. You're going to see lots of linebackers coming at you. Cole Johnson will probably not have seen something like this defense and how they move. Um, and so how is your offensive line? And what do you think about um, just the defense? Cause this, this defense is totally different than probably what JMU has faced this year. So uh, we do have one offensive lineman, Liam Fornado, who was thankfully was able to come back from injury. He will be going to the NFL. He was projected at like the third round until he got injured. He still might be around maybe the fourth or fifth round. He is legit. And then the rest of them are freshmen and sophomores. But they are good freshmen and sophomores. I mean, you don't go 10 and 1 and have a terrible offensive line. That's just, yep. you cannot you cannot do that. Um, these kids are young, but they've played all year. And, it, you know, honestly, that was probably one of our biggest concerns going into the year. It's like, well, we have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. What are we going to do? But they have outperformed their age by a mile. Now, obviously, going up against a more experienced Montana team, um, I have seen your defense, and it definitely will be something a little bit different. But something that will help is Latrell Palmer and at running back. While he is, you know, just a bulldozer, he's also an incredibly good pass blocker. So that he's probably going to be doing a lot of that, you know, to help out wherever it needs to happen. So that's probably going to be how they're going to handle that. But again these are still freshmen and sophomores and this is a very experienced defense. So obviously you guys might have a slight edge there. I would say. That's what I was going to say too. I mean, uh, being at that, being at that position, I'm just thinking about to my youth and when I played and damn, I mean, completely (laughs) different player. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously different era, uh, different time for me. Um, and as compared to, you know, what some of these young guys and especially a diff- being from a different league, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I mean, obviously they've had an outstanding season so far, but that's where I'm kind of am thinking that, Hey, we really need to step it up this week. I mean, mm-hmm. our defense has played amazing all year uh, on the road at home. It doesn't really matter. They've, they've balled out in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Is there things that we can improve on hundred percent, but I really am going to believe in that front seven in order to get mm-hmm. that job done to, give some pressure, give some pressure again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those guys have had a great year, but they're behind a really veteran quarterback that knows how to lead that offense. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to rattle him a little bit, you know, with our defensive schemes, the crossing, all those, all that stuff in between, I think my play to our mm-hmm. advantage when it comes, you know, kind of, kind of to that crunch time. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is probably the best thing that you would want to happen for your defense is to either get a couple of early stops or get a turnover. Now the turnover is going to be incredibly hard to come by because Jamie yeah. just doesn't turn the ball over. But if you can get into the backfield, not necessarily get Cole rattled so much as get him on the move a little more than he would like yep. to be, because a lot of the time you, he's just sitting back there being like, all right, who's open? Oh, Wells, have a touchdown. <laughs> Thornton, have a touchdown. Van Horse, run out of the backfield, have a touchdown. That's literally yeah. what he's been doing all year. And I know he won't be able to do that this week. So you just need to pressure him, make him move. Yep. That's that's going to yep. be the biggest thing for you. And I if think you can just, do, yeah, yeah. If you could do yeah. that, then that's going to be really good for you guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it just dumbs down to one word timing. If we could just, you know, offset yeah. the timing with the receiver quarterback connection, you know, mm -hmm. offset the timing of how comfortable he is kind of back there because they're playing really good football up front. There's no there's yeah. no question about that. But mm -hmm. I just think timing is everything in the game of football, you know, having that right type of rhythm. And I think disrupting it a little bit might play to our advantage and vice versa. You guys are an extremely strong defense. I think, yeah. you know, arguably the top the top defense that we're going to see when it comes to pressure. And I know we've had games where we struggled on that offensive, you know, unit, be able to get yeah. some pressure for Cam, getting, uh, Cam, getting a couple sacks back there. So, again, just mm -hmm. as important for that front seven, I think it's even more important for those front five or, or kind of whoever comes in, depending on, you know, the scheme, you know, to right. really kind of block their ass off, give Cam some time back there, make him feel just as comfortable because you can see what he can do when he has that time. Oh yeah, absolutely for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and we we've talked about a little bit about Cole Johnson, you know, and his his crazy year of only two interceptions and like thirty seven yeah. touchdowns. Um, but you know, uh, Preston, give us a little bit of background about the running backs because I think everyone that is probably looked at JMU knows um, Percy. I'm not gonna pronounce his rest of the name because i know angel is gonna laugh and say you got it wrong so i'm just it's gonna say good. percy because i know i'm not gonna get that um he he was a an amazing talent um he sat out the first three games played a little bit and then had some hamstring injury issues in the beginning of the year um like you said he kind of had a, a season ending surgery um give us a kind of a little bit of a background about the running back position Sure. So um, the main running back is going to be Latrell Palmer. And um, red shirt, sophomore, red shirt, junior. It gets confusing now with all the red shirts. But mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's still got a couple of years. And he's a dude that just bulldozes people. When I say he runs people over, he literally runs people over. Um, and he, you know, he has a decent amount of speed if he gets into um, open space, too. He's somebody that is going to mostly run between the tackles uh, and again as a very good pass blocker uh, the stats for our running backs aren't gonna you know blow you out of the water just because we have a running back room of six people but he's an incredibly talented running back and i would say to him to his second would be solomon van horse who also is on special teams is incredibly talented there but one of the things that folks don't realize about solomon van horse is he has five receiving touchdowns this year so yeah. he is like He's a receiver out of the backfield, kind of like um, now what's his name from the Saints, Alvin Kamara, Come somebody, on, yeah. yeah, somebody that you can just take out of the backfield. And in fact, one of Cole Johnson's touchdowns versus Southeast Louisiana was a perfect example of that, where Cole could have run for a first down, no problem, but nobody was covering Van Horse because Van Horse knew that he should run out and find some space in the field. So that's again, you know, some kind of a curveball that's thrown in there. And then Austin, Austin Douglas, he's a transfer from Rhode Island. He had some injury issues earlier or later in the year, but he's back and, you know, he's a good person to bring in with some fresh legs. So it's not like they're completely depleted and there's no talent there. It's just that, um, you know, we had an incredibly talented true freshman. Keelon Black, and he had a season-ending injury, uh, which was really unfortunate. And then, of course, Percy J. Obese, uh had surgery. But thankfully, he is going to be back next year to help with our transition to FBS. That's crazy. Well, yeah, very like, similar to Montana, too. Yeah. 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 So you didn't mention Cole Johnson. Is he – because I'm looking at his stats that I wrote down. He's had 322 yards of rushing. So – 
is he a he's not going to be the quarterback like uh eric barrier where he's going to be running um where mm-hmm. i think he probably could have taken advantage of us last um this weekend uh running mm-hmm. a little bit more but is he a dual quarterback or is he just kind of just taking what he he has had this year is mm-hmm. that in his repertoire of, of being able to run he's not going to have called run plays very often we'll okay. put it that way um Something that something that's really awesome about Cole is he is very good at discerning when's a good time to just pick up this first down and when's a good time to kind of let my let my highly talented receivers find some space. But when he runs, folks are like, "Oh wait, he can run," which is why they, they, they're just very surprised. They're he's not a dual threat quarterback. I would not say that he is an incredibly efficient runner. I would say he's kind of like. Um, oh. Dude in Buffalo. I'm so bad with names <laughs> this evening. The the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Allen. Oh. Allen, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nobody thinks of him as a runner, but he is a very efficient runner. Obviously, he can throw the ball very well. Yeah, Josh Allen. So that would probably be the best comp that I would give for him. And, you know, that's not an insult. Um, he's not what Ben DiNucci was. Ben DiNucci could, you know, run all over the field if he wanted to. Back in 2008, Rodney Landers, he was like Cam Newton, was a bulldozer. And then Vad Lee, until he got injured, he was like Eric Berrier. Throw, run. I, th- I think he had a 500 total yard game against SMU in 2015. But Cole Johnson is definitely more like a Josh Allen where he's going to throw the ball and he wants to throw the ball. But he can get 30 yards on you in a, in a real quick minute if you're not paying attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I was curious about is obviously you were there in that 2060 run when they, they took the title. Um, mm-hmm. That's correct, right? Yes. So I guess one of the one of the curiosity questions I had was, you know, what's kind of the vibe now? Do you see certain similarities around campus, uh, within the team, within the coaching staffs, or is it a completely different kind of vibe than it was back then? So it's been very interesting, um, the kind of progression that JMU has had since um, we parted ways with Mickey Matthews. Um, When we had Everett Withers from 2014 to 2015, it was like kind of the injection into the program, like get some energy into it, get a really good vibe going. That's when we had college game day for the first time. And then in 2016, obviously we get Mike Houston and we're like, Mike Houston, Citadel, what? What are we doing here? Um, but he came in, you know, he was, I wouldn't call him a rah-rah guy because obviously there's more than that, but he's somebody who could get a, get a locker room really, really hyped up, really, really jacked up. And, you know, the team fed off of that, the fans fed off of that, the band fed off of that. I think he was the perfect coach to go into NDSU and take them down because they were just hyped up. The team was hyped up. They were in a great place. Mm-hmm. Everything was coming together in terms of recruiting, in terms of, you know, these players that have been waiting that actually got recruited by um, Everett Withers, but under uh, Coach Houston, they just took themselves to the next level. And I think probably the, you know, the jumping off point, even though that UNH game was fun, um, the jumping off point was when we obliterated Sam Houston State. Like they came up there with a high-powered offense, just like southeastern Louisiana. <laughs> we're going to throw all over JMU, and we punched them in the mouth. Yeah. And then they were done. And we're like, oh, wait, that was nice. We'll go up to NDSU. We'll, maybe we'll win. And we win that game, and it's like, okay, all bets are off. 
and and I can definitely say that um, I can't remember a time where JNU was just like that together and just like felt that phenomenal. And, you know, of course I'm going to have to say this, but probably the next closest thing was the women's college world series this year. Like it was just, Oh yeah. Absolute buzz on campus buzz everywhere. Like, I mean, if you wore JNU stuff, everybody's like, Odyssey Alexander. Oh my gosh. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yes, yes. I don't know her personally. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) But you know, just that same kind of, you know, uplifting up, kind of feel it's a little different this time though because obviously this is our last run in the fcs playoffs and we want to to win the natty but in the back of our mind we're like there's something really really good in our future that we're looking forward to but i wouldn't say that that's just it's not distracting the coaches it's not distracting the players and that's probably the best thing about kirk zicanetti he's a ceo like and when i say ceo i mean he's like this is my business and i'm going to run it as a business he's done recruiting under Nick Saban. Every time I listen to Signetti, I'm like, he kind of has a Saban way of talking. He doesn't say rat poison, mm-hmm. but he's just very cool, <laughs> calm, collected. We'll give a kind of cool smirk here and there. Um, and the team kind of has that as well. On the off chance that they do get a turnover, they don't freak out about it. If they go three and out, mm-hmm. they're not losing their minds. The offense outside of Cole Johnson is very, very young. Of course, he helps keep them calm, but I think the coaching staff, you know, they're not going to be screaming at the players for doing something stupid. They're just going to be like, you know what you did wrong, right? Okay, do better next time. That's Mm -hmm. what we expect of you. So I would probably say that's probably the biggest difference. There was a more quote-unquote fanfare in 2016, Mm -hmm. and just – in general with Signetti, it's kind of like, this is, we're taking this, you know, business approach. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody's still really excited and they're allowed to have fun and all of that. But at the end of the day, um, I think they realize that we have a job to do. Nobody's going to give this to us. But one thing that we cannot do, which um, I think probably a lot of schools want to do when they see GMU is they want to try and catch them off guard. But it's really, really difficult to, you know, get this team on the back foot. We have never been blown out under Kirk Signetti. Mm-hmm. I think the most we've lost by was eight to NDSU in the national championship. Never been blown out. So that's something, you know, I think that just kind of speaks to the character of the team is that yeah. they're always going to be in oh, the game yeah. no matter what. So and that kind of, you know, that's kind of been the feel on campus. I won't I won't say that everybody's not um, excited. Obviously, we are. But again, there's just some really, really nice things that we're looking forward to moving to the Sun Belt in terms of peer institutions and whatnot. So I think that's slightly in the back of everybody's mind. But on Monday, y'all are our focus. I mean, on Friday, <laughs> y'all, on Friday, y'all are going to be our focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I, had, I had a couple questions. You know, your wide receivers are amazing. Antoine Wells Jr. and Chris Thornton, like you said. Um, what... Now, now we have we have a, a, a probably a NFL talent in Samuel Kim. Uh, are these guys are they the physical type? Are they just barn burners where they're going to blow by you? What kind of kind of give us some in depth about these wide receivers that we're going to be facing? They will feed off of your mistakes, and they run clinical routes, um, which is going to beat anybody any day. Um, one of the things that Cole. Uh, Johnson said, I think it was either in, he said that, you know, 
usually they try to do um, some, what's it called um, RPO to kind of give mm -hmm. them a little bit of time to get open and whatnot. But in the game against Southeastern Louisiana, he just told Wells and Thornton, you can run by these guys, just run by them. And they can do that. Um, I, I would, I know it's very cliche, but they're just very good all around receivers. They're not going to be the type to out physical you, but they will run by you and they will shake you out of your shoes and they will be open from that. And even if you do have them cut or you think you have them covered, they have incredible hands. They've made some of the most phenomenal catches that I've ever seen at JMU, which is why I think they're going to be NFL caliber. There's not just one thing about them that makes them so good. They have so many different attributes that make them so difficult to cover. Any one team would be over the moon to have one of them, and we have two. Yeah. Well, and are, are they pretty young? Are they both juniors? Uh, I thought one was a sophomore. When one was a sophomore. Um, I, thought, I think I one was a sophomore. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think one, yeah, um, as Wells, I think he was a redshirt freshman during the, yeah, Wells has only played 20 games. I think he, oh my gosh, redshirt freshman, so I don't know. Point is, they're both very young. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that we're moving up to FBS, thank goodness we're going to be able to hold on to them because yeah. UVA, UVA and Virginia Tech were probably pe peeking over the mountains, being like, why don't you come over here? Um, yeah. But yeah, they're both very young and both incredibly talented, and I can't wait to continue to see them grow. Um, but yeah, they're just great overall receivers. There's not one glaring weakness for either of them, which is why they're both going to pass a thousand yards this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where do you think? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, where do you think we need to be, and in order, you know, to kind of keep you guys at bay? Where do you think we need to shine at? It was certain positions overall schemes what do you kind of feel i think that you need to like you said earlier uh disrupt the rhythm that's going to be your biggest thing uh, if you can you know get jamie out of their rhythm get them off of their cadence that they were hoping for for a series that's going to be your best shot and the way that you're going to do that is with the schemes that you were talking about with your front seven that's going to be what you're going to need to do uh more or less focus on to try and get uh, the most out of this game for sure. Obviously, your cornerbacks are going to need to play otherworldly games, but it really is going to start with your front seven and what are they going to be able to do to try and um, shake up Jamie's offensive line and maybe have Cole make a mistake or two here and there. Mm. Game of inches, man. Game of inches. It's for be real. A good one. I'm so I'm so excited for it. It's, yeah, it's, I am too. It's, oh my goodness. Well, in this this game, like just talking, like. I feel like other than the wide receiver area where, you know, they have, you know, like you said, they have two amazing talents. We have, you know, one NFL caliber uh, talent, but I think in the wide receiver area, we have just guys that are d dependable. Um, mm -hmm. I think we have mm -hmm. another guy of flowers that, um, that isn't, probably getting the recognition, which he, he probably will be the next wide receiver at Montana. Um, but man, th th these two teams—I'm not going to say they're identical, but they both have the same similarities of how mm -hmm. they want to play. That they're going to crush you with their defense because I think uh, JMU has had this is just before the uh, Southeast Louisiana game, but I, 33 sacks. You know, we're really heavy oriented in the sacks as well. Mm -hmm. We want to give pressure on you. We want to smash you in the mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, usually JMU is really run heavy instead of this year where they're, they're really pass heavy. 
Um, but man, th- these teams seem so, so much alike, so much. Yeah. Alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm looking forward to as well. Now, again, um, just because we are good at passing again, averaging 162 yards per game. Yep. Um, yeah. A lot of that also is helped by, you know, quarterback scrambling and whatnot, but there is something to be said for, you can't just ignore uh, Latrell Palmer. You can't drop all of your safeties and linebackers because Latrell Palmer will, if he gets ahead of steam, if you hit him at five yards, he'll probably get 10 more yards after that. He's that kind of runner. So you yeah. also have to respect the running game no matter what. And JMU's run defense, I never worry about it. Like they, will, they are unfortunately have been known to give up the occasional big play, but those are incredibly rare. Other than yeah. that, you get two yards here, you get three yards here, but it's the same for you all. You get yeah. two yards here, you get three yards there, and you basically are trying to wait to see who wears down wears down first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, like you said, like Cole Johnson too, 322 yards rushing this year. That that's pretty amazing for not him having play called like of rushing for him. Right. So he is able to to get out of the backfield as a quarterback. So um yeah, that, that's amazing. 162 rushing yards a game is <laughs> it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. And I think I think just thinking about the overall game itself, where you know, kind of our strength lie and your guys' strength lie, I think this is truly the first time where our special teams defense is really gonna, you know, be tested a little bit. I think you guys have a pretty solid special teams game. I think I mean your kicker was, you know, special teams player of the year, wasn't he this past year? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Ethan Racky is phenomenal. He's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, not Ethan yeah. Racky, um Harry O'Kelly, our punter. He is yeah. very, very Punter, good at go. getting – yeah, Harry O'Kelly. We don't use him that much, um, but we get players <laughs> inside the 20 all the time. Yeah. We actually don't use him as a runner as much as we used to. I don't know why, but maybe we'll start to do that again. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he's he's a legitimate threat. Um, mm-hmm. I, there was um, a couple of games, if not last year, even this year, where he won the position battle for us, and obviously that helps when our defense is able to see the end zone and say, we want a safety. That uh, that always gets a defense really hyped. So yeah. um, uh, Harry O'Kelly is phenomenal. Like I mentioned, Solomon Van Horse is a threat. He may not take it to the house, but he might take it to your forty yard line, or not your forty yard line, but the forty yard line, and that obviously is a big boost for the offense moving forward. So that's going to be very uh, interesting to see as well. Well, that, that's the same with us, like two angel, like we. I would say, if not the best special teams in the in the nation, I would yep. say we're pretty close. You know, we we do have a, a kick returner that no one wants to kick to, and, and Malik Flowers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the last couple of games, they've been car- kicking to Garrett Graves, and he's been amazing. Yeah. Um, pretty good job having a pretty good job, you know, pretty good job, averaging over 20, 20 per uh, return. You know, we've had some hard times with finding a punt returner after uh, Gabe Seltzer, but Bergen has done a very good job. Hopefully he can continue to uh, do what he's doing, but you know, kickoff coverage, punt coverage, you are going to have a hard time um, getting yardage there. And, and Montana believes in, special teams. It, mm-hmm. it is not something that you're just on and you, you have to go do your job. The, these guys want to be on there because they know if they do good there, that's going to get them playing time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I think this is just going to be an amazing game. I, I can't, I, I, and I can't wait 
till Friday, man. This is just not fair. Yes, for real, for real. I I can't wait. There are, there are very few games that JMU fans like legitimately look forward to as this is going to be fun as opposed to, Oh gosh, we can't lose. Yeah. This is going to be one Mm -hmm. of those games. If we happen to win this game, NDSU was one of those games. Like you all have your Eastern Washington's obviously Montana state's, as of late, Weaver State, UC Davis, Sacramento State. Those are all games that you can look forward to and saying, I can't wait to watch this game because it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. We just don't have that mentality and haven't had that mentality since 2016. It's like, if we lose a game, the sky is falling. Um, <laughs> because because when you're that, that head and shoulders above your conference, that's unfortunately kind of the way that it falls. So it's just nice mm-hmm. to have a game where, and even in the playoffs, like it's just nice to have a game where, okay, we might be favored, but this is just going to be a game where if we win 27 to 23, we're going to be glad that we won. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're the same way too, and it, it, it makes it so much tougher to really kind of, you know, start coming up with keys to the game. I mean, I there's there's – there's certain things throughout the year during with certain opponents you can say okay well if we stop the run you know we'll be able to kind of pinpoint but with these types of teams in the playoffs everybody's mm-hmm. good you know all three phases of the, is of the game is good so it makes it really tough to pinpoint well if we can disrupt the rit the, the you know the timing the rhythm i mean that's such a minuscule thing in the overall game of football that it makes it mm-hmm. so much harder to really kind of start you know predicting how these teams are going to win and i know it must be a headache for coaches you know yeah. it's really about getting nitpicky with the details really try to expose the smallest of things whatever as they can get in order to come out with the win because we're in the same boat it doesn't matter if it's by one point or 50 points at this point you know we're just glad to make it to the next round and Mm -hmm. from a player's perspective everything is on the line i mean it was the same situation you know two years ago in 2019 we traveled to weber and as soon as as soon as it was over we're on the plane back plane ride back home and all the conversation was we weren't ready to go our bodies are good enough we're still ready to play football Mm -hmm. i mean that monday came around and we're in the mindset of let's go to practice let's go to meetings you know and all that comes in abrupt end. it just there's so much you know of that on both sides of the ball you know and it makes it so much harder and it it builds to that anticipation and like you said press and you know wins a win at this point yeah, and and especially like I'm not sure that we would have felt the same playing Eastern Washington, honestly, mm-hmm. because we we know that we would have been able to score seventy on them, mm-hmm. just straight up. Like their defense has improved, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oh, we yeah. but we knew if we can get either Eric Berrier to throw a ball backwards like he did against you all, yeah. <laughs> or 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 throw an interception or stop them a couple times, it's like all right, all we need to do is chuck it forty yards downfield, and Wells will run with it from there. Um, yeah. But with you all, we're, we're, it's it's not quite the rock fights that we have with Delaware, where they just make it ugly and not necessarily fun to watch. Like that was a mm-hmm. twenty-two to ten game, and we're just like, well, we got out of there, and that was nasty. This is mm-hmm. going to be one of those games where, yeah, it might end up being twenty-four to twenty or twenty-seven, twenty-three, something like that. But it's going to be really good football to watch, and that's something mm-hmm. that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. So, Preston, give us a little bit of background about the defense that is, you know, you know, some of the guys that I'm looking at are Diamante, Tux Dorsey with, you know, 26 tackles, uh, six tackles for loss and a sack and two interceptions. Um, and this is probably old. I didn't put their their Southeast Louisiana game, 
Um, their, their linebackers are really good. Their safeties mm-hmm. are, are, are really good. And then you've got some two guys in Isaac. I'm not going to say his last name. Uku. I'm gonna, Uku? Okay. Uku. Isaac eight Uku. Sacks. <laughs> sacks. Eight sacks. And then Bryce Carter with seven sacks. That's that's amazing as well. Uh, what what kind of – can you tell us about the defense? Um, I would say that their defense is a lot like your defense. They're going to throw a lot of schemes at you, and they're all about pressure, um, which, again, it, it really is kind of like looking in the mirror with these teams um, – this year, um, especially on the defensive ends. Um, JMU has been incredibly blessed since 2016 to have some amazing defensive ends. Like there's a couple of them floating around on NFL practice squads right now. But these guys are, if you hold the ball for more than three seconds, they're going to be in your face. It's that type of defense. And then running the ball, uh, Mike Green in the middle, he just sits there and he's just eating up room. And Diamante Tucker Dorsey, He's a ball hawk. He had two interceptions yesterday, one straight up, and then he took one as a pick six. Like, dude is all over the place. Uh, Q Reed, also an incredible player as well. Um, And thankfully, we are finally getting healthy in our secondary because that was kind of something that was happening, you know, in the middle of the year. Injuries happened to everyone. And that was one place where it's like, okay, we really need a bye week here or there or a Towson where we can rest some players. So we're actually getting really healthy in our, so we're actually getting really healthy in our secondary right now, which is really helpful. But the players that you mentioned are absolutely the ones that you need to watch out for. Um, yeah. uh, Isaac Uku, like you said, he'll probably have a sack. He's always in the backfield. And if he doesn't have a sack, he's going to hit your quarterback. He's going to disrupt them somehow. And Diamante Tucker Dorsey, he's just floating around. He's just floating yeah. around, being where he needs to be. I'd say that's probably the best way to describe him. Well, and it's kind of amazing to look at, like, you don't have uh, one guy with, like, all the tackles. It's pretty, like, legitimately kind of even with this defense where everyone's getting involved. It's not mm-hmm. just a couple different guys as well, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Well, in the past, you know, we had Jimmy Moreland and uh, Rashad Robinson, both who are shut down corners. Yeah. So, and that was that was one of the things like in 2016 and 2017, where you couldn't throw on JMU, and then that basically gave the defense uh, defensive front all the time in the world to just eat everybody up. Yeah. It's kind of shifted. The defensive line is now helping out our secondary a little bit, and it does force quarterbacks into unfortunate situations, as Cole Kelly found out on Saturday. Um, he's not that person that's going to be throwing all those interceptions and fumbling usually. But when you have eight different dudes in your face all the time, that's going to make you do stuff that you don't normally do. And that's exactly what JMU's defense does. So what's going to be re- another real key for you all is that your offensive line and your running backs are making sure that they're keeping track of, for lack of a better term, these monsters coming at them. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I think one of the things that makes it so cool is because um, I think every opponent that we face and every opponent that you face, a lot of times I think teams aren't used to that style of play. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. obviously Cole's fortunate enough that he's able to play against that every single day. So is Cam. Cam's Mm -hmm. able to play that against every single day, you know. Mm -hmm. But normally, traditionally to other teams, they're not used to that style of play. You know, those types of Mm -hmm. schemes being brought up and that type of pressure, you know, on an offense Mm -hmm. as a whole. 
So I think mm-hmm. this is really kind of where my question, I mean, I'm, I, I do think that you guys have, you know, a little bit rhythm when it comes to that offensive unit. You know, I think you guys mesh really well and you guys do a lot of things right. And it helps that with that, you know, senior leadership at the quarterback. I think he's senior, right? Cole's a senior, correct? Yeah. 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 I think with that senior leadership, being able to kind of get everybody situated, I do think that you guys, you know, been put in a place where you guys, you know, found you guys' rhythm. So I'm really, that's the big question for me. How are both teams going to handle similar mindset of defenses, you know, when it comes to that mm-hmm. offensive unit on both sides of the ball? And so that's where I'm kind of like, ah, I don't even know where to start with that one. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's as good as mine, honestly. I, I, like I said, I don't think that we're going to have a lot of short yardage situations like we had in both of our games. Um, So it's not going to be like weird stuff. I think what's real, what it's really going to come down to is who can control the clock the best, because I I, I genuinely think that, you know, it's going to be within five minutes of possession either way like maybe 27 minutes to 33 minutes or something like that. It's not going to be very huge. Yeah, either one of us can break off a big play here and there, but I don't. We're, neither of us is going to be slinging it like we were um, this past weekend. I yeah. think that these are going to be teams that are going to be taking maybe seven, eight-minute drives here and there. Might take, might take a shot if they see it, but that's not going to be the game plan. It's going to be... Mm-hmm. We want to tire the other defense out as much as possible, and we need to get five or six first downs per possession. And I think the team that does that the best, barring turnovers, obviously, is legitimately going to have the advantage. Because that's really what's going to be the separator, in my opinion. Whose defense gets tired first? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think just one thing that I know Montana has struggled with all year is this third down conversion. We mm-hmm. even struggled, you know, against Eastern Washington um, for part of that game of, of converting on third down. If we don't do that this game, we it's not going to be close. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it won't be close. Um, but I, I think, you know, you look at so many things that our defenses are kind of going to be canceling each other out. I really think that's something that we're really not even looking at that's going to happen in these games that's going to swing this momentum, either it be special teams or, or, or something that we're not looking at. Um, mm-hmm. That will be the deciding factor of this game. Um, but what what is the... You know, there's a lot of animosity with JMU in the CAA. Oh like, boy! So how how, oh how, boy. how is that affecting the football team? Because I just, you know, you say it's not affecting uh, with the move, but man, that would be that would be really hard to keep. I for me as 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 just a human being, the the focus on the goal, even though next year you're going to be playing in a new conference, you know. Because I don't think, off the top of my head, uh, they didn't get the automatic qualifier, did they, for the football team? Because they, the CAA basically said no, right? Nope. Nope. Happened to them in the spring, too. Yeah. So, um, how how is that going? And just, can, can you give us insight on that? Because, wow. <laughs> um, it's an ugly breakup. An incredibly yeah. ugly breakup. To the point where JMU has offered probably seven or eight CAA All-Americans scholarships. Really? 
Yeah. They, they, so they were in the transfer portal, obviously. Oh, okay. we're, we're not that bad. Um, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Uh, no, but, you know, moving to the CAA, even with the COVID year, they're going to need to bolster um, the, the roster. Um, we've offered Delaware's starting quarterback, Nolan Henderson. He's gotten an offer. We've offered like four or five Delaware players scholarships. I, wow. We've offered uh, All-American defensive end from Richmond a scholarship. Like, they burned the barn they burned it first and we're like okay cool anybody want to come with us to the Sun Belt? <laughs> like that's kind of how we've been approaching it but for the players i think really what it's just come down to is all right you guys want to play it like that we'll beat you like you stole something which in this case mm -hmm. we think they did um but and i think that you saw that more or less once the announcement was made, like Campbell didn't count, they, that's whatever. But Elon was not a close game. William and Mary, even though it was 33 to 22, that game was never in doubt. And then obviously Towson was 56 to 10. We're just like, we're done with you. We're not even going to pretend to be nice. We're just, y'all did this. And even the Towson coach on one of their talk shows is like, wouldn't it be nice if we could send JMU out of the CAA with a loss? I think the entire CAA would like that. And it's just like, what, what are y'all doing here? Like, yeah. like, like I get it. You're sad. Delaware will be the new flagship in terms of athletics and they have a good athletic department. Their budget is not substantial, but it's fairly high for an FCS budget. Oh yeah. But they know that they're losing their golden goose. And I think yeah. that they're a little, a little mad about that. Um, thankfully, you know, it hasn't been dirty. Like there haven't been like people trying to injure each other purposefully or anything or anything like that. Um, slightly off topic with football. I think where it's really going to come through is in softball. Yeah. I was, I was going to mm. actually ask you that. Cause like that, you know, knowing what you guys have in softball, that's going to be crazy. Yeah, so what our an soft impressive year. Jesus. Yeah. Our softball team is going to be ridiculously young this year, but they're ridiculously talented. Um, yeah. Our, our ace, Alyssa Humphrey, just came back from the U19 women's national team with a gold medal. Uh, she's the real deal. Um, so we're, we're not losing much in terms of talent, but we're going to be much younger. But we would win our softball games, you know, 8 nothing, 10 nothing, 9, 3. Since we need to, we're not going to be able to participate in our tournament this year, there are going to be some 30 to nothing, 35 to nothing. Jeez. 35 to three games. Gosh. I'm not like, and I, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that just to say that I'm just saying they that to. they have to, yeah. they yeah. have to. Um, yeah. And thankfully football didn't have to take that approach, but I mean, softball like, thoughts and prayers for the rest of the CAA. Cause we beat Delaware 17 to nothing in the CAA final last year. Wow. So like, I, I can't wait. I love softball. It's my second favorite NCAA sport behind football, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I they're, they're probably going to be the ones where you're going to be like, oh, geez, that's a, that's not a great score. Uh, but, you know, football, we probably would have beaten Towson 35 to 10 anyway. But, you know, just that little oomph, uh, that little fork in the side a little bit just to be like, we're better than you and we know it. We've actually been taking it easy on those, especially those teams that haven't been up to snuff lately. 
So wow. one thing that I'm curious about, I mean, obviously, since we're on the topic of making the transition over, mm-hmm. how do you think uh, this is going to affect, you know, players that want to make it to that professional level? Level? Do you guys think you guys are moving to a position where it's going to benefit those players or is it going to be about the same with that transition? What I think will actually be very interesting is we have been negatively recruited for being an FCS school. Um, Like we've lost recruits for that. We've probably also gained recruits for that also with just having exceptional facilities and a phenomenal program. But in terms of, you know, professional um, development, what I will think will help is the fact that the Sun Belt is an incredibly strong conference. Uh, You're playing against Appalachian State. Hopefully Coastal Carolina can keep it up. ODU hasn't lost a game since announcing they were moving to the Sun Belt. That's how they rate a bowl game. Um, so they, they're obviously on the right track. Marshall is going to be a good program. Louisiana is obviously incredibly good. Um, Troy was had a down year this year, but generally they're like an eight and four ish team. Um, Georgia Southern, another FCS power is, um, yeah. has improved a lot as well. So they're going to be playing against very good players. And one thing that I know that NFL scouts, especially if they're taking you seriously, yeah, they'll take a look at your FCS tape, but they want to see how you did against your FBS team. Like yeah. I know for um, Alabama State had a um, an offensive lineman that got drafted. And I think they played Auburn that year. And they looked at his Auburn tape and they're like, oh, oh okay. So he can play with anybody. So I think that's where it's going to be very, very helpful for the football players is they're going to have tape against maybe Tennessee and Louisville in the same year as opposed to only one of those a year. And honestly – G5 schools do not schedule JNU. We have not had a G5 school schedule us since we beat East Carolina 34 to 14. They just don't, they just don't want to take that out. So that's also going to be helpful because those players will be able to get that tape, um, you know, against other G5 opponents and obviously against a couple of FBS opponents. I mean, uh, P5 opponents as well. So I think that that it will absolutely be helpful. And again, with recruiting, you're going to say, you're going to be coming to a premier G5 league. You're going to be, you know, if we're recruiting in North Carolina, you're going to be like, well, you're going to be playing against Dutra, playing against in high school and whatnot, which is going to be really exciting. JMU tends to get two and three stars more than other FCS schools. We have out-recruited P5s before as an FCS school, constantly out-recruited G5s, and that's just going to be even stronger. And I think it's not only a credit to the fact that we'll be FBS, but if you talk to other fans in the Sun Belt, like everybody in this league is so excited to not only be in it, but also have the teams that they're bringing into it. Oh, like, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to hate each other, <laughs> yeah. you know, for three or three or four hours. But outside of that, it, the camaraderie has just been phenomenal from what I've experienced so far. Yeah. One, like we said, uh, Preston, uh, before we got on is, is this, Sunbelt is going to be rivaling what the ACC has. Like it's it's not going to rival like what the SEC, but but you would have to take a hard look at what the ACC is doing then and then with these teams in the Sunbelt because, you know, there, there's a top tier in the ACC, but then there's a, there's a low tier and there's not going to be that in the Sunbelt. There's just going to be 
battling it out and yeah. punching each other in the face. So, you know, I'm not going to say everything's going to be rosy. Like Southern Miss had a down year this year in Conference USA. Texas State is kind of out in the wilderness. Georgia State is very Jekyll and Hyde. They can play Auburn close, but then just look like crap. <laughs> um, I think what's – but the East is going to be, you know, Marshall. They're always going to be at least 6-6. Six and six. ODU seems to be like that. JMU is going to be at least that. Appalachian State is probably going to be front runners more often than not. Coastal, again, if they can keep up what they've had the last couple of years, they're going to be a power. So if Georgia State can pick it up a little bit, uh, like I said, Georgia Southern seems to be improving. The East is going to be a beast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. And Arkansas State had a little bit of a down year, but generally they're like an eight and four, nine and three type team. Obviously, Louisiana has been doing phenomenally. So yeah, they're, they're going to be the obvious top G5 program. And they're going to be a program where if you're a lower power five, you probably don't want to play a Sunbelt team because you don't want to pay them $2 million and then lose. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious. Obviously, we had a podcast a couple of us ago, and we talked a little bit about, you know, these major teams, FCS teams, making the transition over mm -hmm. to, you know, the Sunbelt, for example. Mm -hmm. Um Man, and it just it breaks my heart to see, brother. I do have to say that. I feel like it takes away from the legitimacy of the FCS, <laughs> man. Well, I will say that it's not our entire fan base. That's one hundred percent gung ho. It's obviously yeah. mostly the older alumni that are like, "Oh, we're leaving," and it's like yeah. you guys probably felt the same way about Division Two. We, we yeah. will say this: <laughs> what. If we could take you all with us, we absolutely would. Um, I told Adam before we got on here that Chase Kitty, a JMU alum who um, works for uh, Bet uh, MGM, he went onto the Ask Restate Reddit basically and talked mm -hmm. with him about how he went to JMU in 2015 and said, "What do you think about this? You know, should JMU move up?" He said. You guys have a beautiful thing here. Your campus is gorgeous. Your atmosphere is electric. If you have a good thing going, there's no need to change it. So Chase mm -hmm. circled back to that with Reese, and Reese responded, and he basically said this. You know, I feel the same way. If you have a good thing and you think you're where you're supposed to be, excuse me, terrific. But I will tell you this. There is going to be a point in time, probably sometime in the not-so-distant future, where the power five is going to separate. And he said, will they bring a few schools up with them or will a couple of power fives that want no part of that drop off? But mm -hmm. I mean, in the year 2035, we will probably see three tiers of division one. And I don't think that you would ever have that second tier be brought under the NCAA and have to deal with their shenanigans in terms of a playoff system. But that's going to be a space where among the Montanas, the Dakotas, they may feel like they can live more reasonably in terms of finances. So that's probably something that I would keep an eye out for. But if I was, you know, you all, I know North Dakota State fans are always talking to me about, dang it, you're the only team we're afraid of. <laughs> um, them in South Dakota State. Um, so, you know, you're losing, obviously, JMU. Sam Houston just won, perennial playoff team, quarterfinals at least. And yeah. up until recently, Jacksonville State, always there. Mm -hmm. Those are, you now we're not going to get into Conference USA because that's its own shenanigans. <laughs> um, but it, it's always going to hurt to lose those teams. But we also have mm -hmm. to remember, 
They felt the same way when Marshall left. They felt the same way when Georgia yeah. Southern left. They felt the same way when Appalachian State left. Now, mm-hmm. for those conferences specifically, like the SOCON used to be the Missouri Valley. Yeah. They were always there no matter what. It was basically them in the CAA with the occasional Big Sky team battling it out in the national championship. Okay. Obviously, it's lifted, shifted slightly. So that's what's going to happen with this. I think that the Southern Conference is on the cusp. I think that the A-Sun, if they can keep themselves together, could be a team to watch out for. And the Big South could be a team, uh, place to watch out for as well. North Carolina A&T had a down season this year, but I expect them to bounce back. So they'll probably have two to three teams that are vying for spots as well. So, yeah, JMU is going to leave, but Nova will be there. Delaware is a perennial power. They might not be as loud and as passionate, but they do have a great history as a football program. So those are all things that, you know, it kind of, it just regenerates. And yeah, I, I think that's what people need to realize. But I'm just being selfish. I'm just being selfish. It's man. fine. It's fine. Selfish. I totally get it. I, I say it. If, if, if the tables were turned, I would feel the exact same way. Um, like when Appalachian State left, I know that there were a lot of JMU fans that were like, ah, oh, dang, that sucks. It does yeah. suck. I'm still yeah. that way. Yeah. I'm still that way. I'm still like, ah. Yeah, like, so I, I, I'm the opposite. Like, I'm totally like, let's just move. Let's just move to the Mountain West. Let's just do it. Um, I mean, you, it's pro- it's probably not as far off as you might think. I mean, yeah, yeah. Texas and Oklahoma basically accelerated the process, and that happened because of COVID. Yeah. So that's that's all I'll say on that. I Again, I would not be surprised if the Montanas were in whatever that second-tier FBS looks like in 10 to 15 years, because I really do think that's where it's heading, and apparently that's what Reese Davis says, too. Yeah, yeah, it's out there. I agree. Oh man. Well, you want to do some like keys? I think we kind of already did some keys, but do you guys have any more keys to this game that we kind of uh I think it'd be good just to kind of summarize it, man. Just to okay. kind of just do a quick little bullet point type of situation. Uh Adam, mm-hmm. if you want to start it up since you brought it up. What are your yeah. keys to the game, brother? Well, Montana side, you know, uh third down is gonna be pivotal. Uh we've mm-hmm. got we can move on first and second. We, we we have a hard time moving the ball on third down. I think that's going to be a key um, mm. for our offense. We cannot just we're, – we're going to have to score. Uh, we're not going to be able to get in a track meet with you guys. Um, I don't think it's going to be a track meet either way because these two defenses are going to be ball hawking and, and getting after each other. Mm. Um, we're going to have to play our, our best game this year. I don't think, and Angel and I have said this all year long, we haven't played our best game this whole season. Um, We've Mm -hmm. continually gotten better, um, but our line is going to have to show out this this game. Uh, We've said it all year. Uh, We've had some, have some guys that can have some real true talent. They, they, it hasn't, hasn't hit the mark. Um, We kind of play, to the level of, of our competition sometimes. And I, I don't mm-hmm. think we get enough push. We have to get some push. We have to get some, some easy plays, some confidence going into a, a hard environment, the, the way that it is. Uh, we're going to have to get some turnovers. We're going to have to win that turnover battle uh, to, to stay in this game. Uh, the, the JMU side, you know, they're going to have to be able to to look at what our defense is doing 
and kind of adjust. I think it's both offenses are going to do that. Um, but I just think that, uh, what we do is a little bit differently than anyone else kind of does. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Um, and then just also, I, I really think Cole is going to uh, run a whole lot more than he has, because I think that that's, he's going to have to do that. He's going to, he's not going to have the time to sit back in the pocket. He's going to be running a whole lot more this game than he, than he has all year and he can do it. So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about Best, you? What do you think, brother? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll do Montana first. I think that uh, what what is honestly going to be really key for you is what you just mentioned. Get Cole Johnson off his rhythm ever so slightly. Yeah. You all are absolutely going to need to do something that nobody's been able to do. Win the turnover battle. Um, I think the team that wins the turnover battle uh, probably increases their chances of winning by 10 to 15%, period. I think if Montana can break off a couple of big-time runs, that is going to help you immensely. You don't need to you know, bomb the ball down the field all the time, but if you can get those one or two really big plays, that will help you a lot in this game. And then, of course shutting down the two wide receivers but again nobody's been able to do that just just don't let them burn you is probably going to be the biggest thing now for jmu uh i think our defense just needs to do what they've always done hold teams below 30. that's just what they do if they do that i think they'll be okay i don't see that being a problem again this is going to be a game of the 20s yeah Mm-hmm. First team to 30 wins, basically, is how I see this game going. <laughs> um, but I think that if our defense holds y'all to under 20, oh, goodness, that's going to be really, really hard. And they ha- ob- obviously have the capability to do that. Now, on yeah. the offensive side, I actually think that we need to make you all respect our normal run game. Like Latrell Palmer you know, busts out five to six yards here and there. Van Horse swinging around the outside, or even like the short passes to Van Horse, just make you respect the fact that there is something between 20 yard downfield or a 15 yard slant. There is that spot in the field where your front seven can't just back off or your front seven can't, you know, just say, all right, we're going to get to the quarterback in two seconds. They won't be able to do anything where if you do that, maybe you hand it off to Palmer and then you have nobody to cover him for 30 yards. That's going to be really important. Um, I don't really think about our wide receivers all that much. I just know that they're going to do what they need to do. But I think establishing the run is going to be very key because, like I said, a lot of teams aren't really thinking about JMU as a run team right now. But it is a team that can bust out a 260-yard game, uh, game on you if you're not careful. So those would be probably the biggest things that I would say. Mm-hmm. I think for me personally, the biggest thing, um, again, where I think you guys have the, the you know, the slight edge on us is um, your offensive rhythm, the chemistry. And I think a big part of that is simply because, I mean, granted to our defense, but our offense has had, you know, a different starting 11 almost every game this year. You know, whether that be injury, whether I mean one thing, whether it be the other thing, you know, if I think that is extremely important and order to, you know, kind of develop who you are as an as, as an identity for your offense. And I think you guys, you know, have have had the fortune of being able to develop that early on. 
you know, and understand who you guys are. You know, mm-hmm. I still think, again, I think this plays into we haven't played our best football yet, you know, which is a scary thing. But it's also something that can go bad for us, too. Will we ever get to that point? That's the real question. You know, when we play a big football. I would also say the same thing for JMU. Um, uh-huh. I don't think Southeastern Louisiana was, quote, unquote, our best football. I just think that we were way more talented than they are. I don't think yep. JMU's mm-hmm. played their best game yet either. So, you know, let's hope that we get that this weekend from both of us. Exactly. I mean, that, that'll that just be a juggernaut of a game in itself, you know, mm-hmm. but thinking about, you know, trying to get something rolling for us. I mean, I think these past couple games have been really good for our offense to start develop, really start developing that identity that we're kind of looking for. But I think it's going to have to be, you know, tenfold from what it was every single week. I mean, this is this is all or nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the work's already put in. It's just about putting it all together, going out there and execute. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you guys all made some great points. I think on the Montana side, I think stopping that third down conversions, those fourth down conversions, I think it's going to be huge. I think it is going to be a little surprising that, you know, how good of a run game that you guys actually have. So I think that's going to pose a challenge to our defense. And I think it, it's it's hard to overlook it. But once you really start diving into numbers, you, you can see that you guys could get the job done on the ground just as much as in the air. So it's going to be a challenge on both folds. You know, again, which are the type of talent you guys have the receiver? You know, I do think it's one thing that, again, that our cornerbacks, our secondary is going to have to step up. I think they've done, done a really good job up until this point, and it's just the next challenge, another opportunity. You know, and I think our players really feed off that, you know, elite level of play. You know, mm-hmm. in past years, I can say that sometimes, you know, I think, you know, that's a scary thing to do because it, it's far-fetched, you know, playing FBS teams, you know, Washington, my year in 2016, when we got blowout to this upcoming year, you know, the mentality just seems different on the field. And I think because of that, our players thrive off of that. So I think they're looking forward to that matchup that, that you know, that, that high elite level of play. Um, mm-hmm. Again, uh, slow, take the rhythm off. That's really the, my big thing for our defense. You know, if we take the rhythm off, I think we'll be okay. But I do think a devil's advocate on the other side, the JMU has a really good system in play. They don't get overwhelmed. It's not like you don't see them crying on, on, on the bench when something bad goes their way, as you can see some teams, you know, regardless of who you play. I think mm-hmm. they've really kind of level-headed, calm. And I think that's a scary thing for a football team when they don't oh, yeah. get too too overly excited and they don't get under, you know, over overwhelmed in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. so I think being able to disrupt that timing is going to be big. You know, con- keeping that consistent energy from play one to play, you know, 50, 60, however long, you know, it goes, I think it's going to be huge. I think mm-hmm. on our offensive side, we need to keep Cam up right. You know, again, yeah. I think – for me personally, this is the best defensive unit that we're going to see in the FCS when it comes to player matchups. You know, one on one, I think you guys are extremely talented, and I think it's going to be a big job on the offensive line and those tight ends when they come in on certain packages to make mm-hmm. sure that Cam's upright. Xavier Harris in the back, you know, he's a little bit young, he's a little bit inexperienced, you know, when it comes to the game of football, but he's a phenomenal player. And I think um, he's going to be able to elevate his game to the next level and really kind of see what the FCS is all about with this game. You know, I think the type of caliber team that he, he just hasn't seen a team like this before, mm-hmm. you know. So I think uh, it, that's a bod, you know, spectrum nitpicky things but i think ultimately man i think it's it's gonna get, it's gonna be a good game you know at yeah. least that's what i'm hoping for yeah you know yeah, and too. i think uh, there's nothing but respect for the jmu program i mean likewise i yeah yeah, yeah. and i think it, i mean i've said this all year once we get to the playoffs it's game by game situation you know it's not like you can really kind of predict and you know have these conversations it's really just says hey man it comes down to the wire who can get there you know nose to the grindstone man get it done man and 
you know, walk up there, getting ready for the next one, man. But I mean, respect to both programs, man. I'm just, I'm just really yeah. excited for it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we couldn't have asked for a better potential um, quarterfinal and semifinal matchup. Like if yeah, you drew it exactly. up for JMU, it would have been like, oh yeah, let's play Montana. Oh, yeah. let's play North Dakota State. Like again, I assume nothing. But if you're going to go out, that would be the way to go out. Just playing what? teams like that. And it just feels like this should be a, a semifinal game, not a quarterfinal game. Um, yeah. Just the way that the bracket is, you know, it's just crazy. I do think that we um, got the tougher side of the bracket. Oh, we are, we are all absolutely on the top. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Our side of the bracket is ridiculous. Don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, heck, Montana State might give it to oh, yeah, was, Sam Houston yeah. cut. Because yeah. – Mm, don't get me started on that. Yep, um, yep. Even though they lost their starting quarterback, they might hold Sam Houston to twenty points. Yeah, and one and yep. less. So there's that. Um, Villanova versus South Dakota State is going to be a very good game, though. Yeah, that's going to be a very good game. Um, but yeah, our side of the bracket is much much tougher. Yeah, NDSU is playing ETSU, but that's not going to be an easy out for them. ETSU no, is a better team than they were the last couple yeah. of years, though, too. And, so. and while they did squeak by Kennesaw, literally, yeah. Um, yeah. that's not going to be a team that they're just going to be able to bulldoze. So I I don't think that the team's going to overlook it, but their fans probably need to, you know, readjust their expectations because that might be exactly. a 10 to 14 point game as opposed to a 24 to 28 point game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%, man. 100%. Man, it's still here. We still got football, boys. I'm oh, not mad. I know. I'm not mad about it. No, 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 no. Hey, Preston, would you be willing to do some predictions with us? We usually try to do a prediction at the end. It, it's more silly than, than anything because, you know, Angel and I are so We're horrible so at predictions. It. <laughs> it, it, it's not even – it, so like, yeah, this whole year, it, it's. It, I think we've had one game where we've been close – Okay. Don't yeah, have totally on down. top of the world. Like, yeah, hey, we got this. We got this. But no, no, no. no. It's quite <laughs> yeah. the opposite. I figured that so, this would be a question. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, final predictions. Um, I think this is going to be a, a, a very, very close game. I think it's going to be 25 27. And I am going to be the homer and I'm going to say Grizz win on the road. Naturally. Um, I, <laughs> we have to. Man. Can, what can you expect? <laughs> of course. Well, and then you know you're going to have to expect this from me. I oh, also yeah. think I also think that it's going to be a very close game. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be back and forth. It might be one team, you know, goes on a 17 to nothing run, or one team tries to come back at the end but just falls short. But I genuinely think that it's going to look like something like 31 to 26, JMU. It's going to be one of those games. And I will say this, touchdowns over field goals is going to be key yeah. too. Like get the points, but touchdowns over field goals. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, year man, up, I think I'm going to be a little bit surprised. I think I'm going to go a little bit. You, I mean, I could easily see it. My gut and my heart wants to tell me that it's going to be a low scoring game. But for whatever reason, I just have a sense it's going to be a juggernaut back and forth and back and forth. So I, you know, it's tough for me to really kind of predict the a final score, but I think it's going to be, you know, uh, I want to say in the eighties, you know, when it comes to cumulative <laughs> combined scores. Oh, combined I, I was like, like, I was I was like wait a minute, what? I'm telling you. Yeah, combined scores. That's a lot. Combined scores. That's, That's a lot. That is a lot. Would, that, least, that is a lot, man. And I'm telling you right defenses. now, you know, if I'm, 
Yeah, dude. You know what? If I'm predicting something, I'm going to say, you know, 70s or 80s. I'm going to say 41, you know, kind of 37. I still think it's going to be pretty relatively close, but I do mm-hmm. think that it's going to be a high-scoring game and that we are going to be surprised by both of our offensive efforts. 41-37 Grizz, right? You're not Grizz. Of course. Of course. <laughs> you didn't need to ask that part. <laughs> I know. Right? I didn't have to, but I, I got to give him a hard time. <laughs> we got a six-pack of beer present coming your way, man. Oh, well, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, of course, brother. Of course. Just, brother, we just want to say appreciate you hopping on, you know, kind of giving some yeah, feedback, man. man. I mean, it's always nice to have, you know, different perspective, especially from, you know, non-traditional conference matches, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. the last time we played you guys was in 2008, so that was quite a while ago. So kind of getting this updated, mm-hmm. you know, kind of vibe, the presence, you know, we just appreciate you coming on, brother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and thanks man. for having me. Um, Adam knows that anytime that he wants me to have me on, I'm more than happy to hop on. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Thanks, okay. thanks guys. Appreciate it. Well, appreciate right, you, brother. Take care. Okay.